Now, I knew that informing Abe of my involvement with the family bank was, of course, going to be necessary. As an officer of the bank, he has access to his records, couldn't just allow for $20 million to flow in unaccounted for. That being said, meeting with him was undoubtedly going to be the least productive part of my day. It was, in fact, if you considered almost every other time that Abe and I had met in our adult lives, going to be quite a brawl. Huh. Might as well get it over with sooner or later. <laughs> I grabbed the door jam and pulled myself out of Jack's little toy. <laughs> as I did, his dad, David, who had arrived too prompt as ever and directly from the tennis court from the look at him, was approaching us from across the parking lot. And when he grabbed me for one of his signature solid hugs, I could still smell the freshly mowed grass on him. Good to see you, Clint. <laughs> David. After your nasty little legal issues here, I had worried I'd never see you again. And why would you come back to poor old Homestead when you've got yourself all settled in a Mexican paradise? Well, to save your bank, David. So, my boy, tell me how you plan on doing that. In full detail, but let me tell you and Jack about it after we've met with Abe and he's made his run for it. David was a good three decades older than me, 40 pounds heavier, a full head shorter, and with only half my amount of hair on his pate. But still, I looked up to him as to no other man on earth. He was the only father figure I could claim in my life. It felt very, very good to be able to say this to him. The bank is in serious trouble. If I don't acquire more capital, the feds will take it over. My father started this bank in 1932, and I'll be damned if I let that happen. The boardroom at the main branch of Citizen National Bank, which was where we were meeting, was done in the very best of taste. Polished chestnut wainscoting, original brightly colored modern art on the taupe grass cloth wallpaper above, oval conference table of solid mahogany, and of course, Italian leather chairs. I could see the oh-so-elegant hand of Candace in all the little details. And as a final touch at the very center of the table, a giant crystal vase filled with fresh flowers. David stood at one end of the table, his right hand in the pocket of his white tennis shorts, jiggling the car keys inside it. It was his nervous habit, but one he'd had for so long that those of us who grew up around him weren't really bothered by it anymore. He started the meeting providing a summary of where the bank stood and how the purpose of our meeting could help improve the standing, which boiled down to just a few key concepts. Jack sat in the middle of the table to his father's right, kept his head down, better to keep it out of Abe's line of fire, only nodding silently when his father made his points. I sat on the other side of the table, opposite Jack. My Italian leather chair swiveled directly toward David. My face lifted as if I were completely enraptured by his words. My neck not turning, no matter how many times Abe, who himself had taken a seat down at the other end of the table opposite his father, declared his impatience by clearing his throat or slapping the table loudly with his open palm. I didn't want to look at Abe because I was pretty sure he'd be wearing an idiot expression, breathing through his mouth, and such a show of stupidity was, would surely piss me off. And, because the 
recently acquired flapping jowls that he'd got as he began to put on weight with an almost alarming rapidity, were now so large, they reminded me of an overfed hog, and I wanted to do my best not to laugh in his face. When David extended a hand to me, gestured that he was turning over the floor, I nodded and addressed my comments to him as if he were the only person in the room. Thank you, David. It's good to be back home, and it's even better to be back with the people I truly care about. My family, in many, many ways. And to be able to offer you a proposition that I believe could be good for all of us. I've made a considerable amount of money in my time in Mexico. I've made some very good investments in real estate in Merida and the surrounding areas, which, as you all know, or should know is a major tourist destination, as well as one for well-to-do U.S. retirees. I kept my eyes fixed on David as I spoke, not giving even a glance to my nemesis Abe as he glowered in the corner. Now, I need to get my money out of Mexico. I do a lot of charitable work there, but I have no interest in making its government one of my primary beneficiaries. You need to raise capital to keep the bank solvent, and, as I understand it, you've already been looking for investors. I'll put myself forth as your investor. Two million dollars. And here I allowed myself just a glance at my nemesis. To start. I would rather see this bank taken over by the feds than sell any part of it to a cocksucker! Well, Abe, that's my decision. Who buys part of my bank? You're here as a courtesy. That's all. Well, nice of you to invite me, Dad, but you need to consider the ramifications of someone like Clint as an investor. It isn't going to sit well with our customers letting some queer manage their money. It's a well-known fact that queers suck at management money, and only a fool would... Abe, that's all. You can go. Now. You know my plan for the bank, and there's no reason for you to be here. This is the most ungodly thing you've done in your whole godless life. If you go through with it, you'll regret it! There is always a possibility of regret in almost everything one does in life. Abe was in disbelief. Red rage rushing to fill out his flapping face. I wondered for just a moment if he would do something truly Abe-like. Ball so loudly the nearby secretaries would come rushing into the room convinced of a homicide or, or pick up the edge of the table and flip it over. But Abe merely narrowed his eyes and spat at his father. David kept a calm and neutral expression on his face as Abe stood up at the opposite end of the table and proceeded to have a truly Abe-like shit fit. Abe, don't do it! Put the fucking vase down! <laughs> get the fuck out and get someone in here to clean up your mess. Now, Clint... Tell me what the deal is. The real deal. Not the bullshit you just fed my elder son. I grinned. David was still sharp as a fucking tack. Okay. I'll deposit $20 million into your bank over the next several weeks. 16 of it, less bank fees, of course, will go into an account we'll open for my Mexican business partner. And $4 million of it will go into my existing account. I'll use $2 million of my cut to buy one half of the Cohen family's shares of the bank. And that really is just to start. Money isn't an issue with my business partner. Clint, my boy. <laughs> You're smart as they come. 
but no new business makes 20 million in just the few short months you've been in Mexico. Tell me. I looked toward Jack, but his head was still down. David just sat and waited patiently. I knew from long experience that if I tried to bullshit him, he would know it. My partner's a drug dealer. He makes his money in Mexico and he needs to get it into the U.S. to protect it from being confiscated by his government. He deals mostly in cocaine, some weed, my guess is meth is on the table as well. No smuggling, no U.S. presence, I mean. He sells primarily to tourists in the Yucatan. And there's a steady local demand too, of course. That's all I know. Suppliers like your friend aren't the only ones who have to negotiate tricky federal rules and regulations to stay in business. Abe is having a real shit fit in the lobby. He could probably break something. Customers are heading out the door and the tellers are moving away from their cages. Jack, go out there and tell him to go home. I'll call security to back you up. Security's already out there. Oh, he's heading back in here. Oh, he's got a gun. Yeah. Of course, we had all seen Abe flip out like this before. I had always considered him physically harmless. Could take his fat ass down with one arm tied behind my back. Abe with a gun, however, was a different problem. I'm gonna kill every one of you. Blow your fucking brains out. I'm not standing for you giving the bank away. You've always done everything for those two. No more! I've had all the bullshit I can take. Fuck all of you! Abe, think about this for a second. Where would you be if you rubbed us all out? Think. Your mom and I have supported you. You've got a shit ton of resentment with these two, and it's not good for you. We've always treated all of you as equals. This cocksucker is not investing or owning any part of this bank. I don't give a fuck what you say or think. I've worked hard to get where I am. If you want to stay where you are, then be smart about it. Put the gun down. Here come the cops. Abe, put the gun down. You don't want to do anything stupid. Give them the gun. You don't want to do this. We got six 911 calls about this one going off the rails. Oh, just lock his fat ass up. All right. Fuck you, Jack! Come on, kid. You son of a bitch! Yeah, take him there and keep him until he cools off. Fuck all of you! I've made more money in one night than you made in the last He has these fits when he doesn't get his way. In an hour, he will be back to normal. And off they went. For just one second, I thought Abe might do one last truly stupid Abe-like thing. But he didn't. David walked out into the lobby, and Jack and I followed. He stood in the center of the room and addressed the remaining customers and employees. I apologize for all the upset. Everything's okay. My oldest son is going through some things, and it just got out of hand. Everything is fine. All right, boys. Let's go to Jack's office and finish the business of saving my bank. That mean you on board with my plan, David? Of course. I told you I'll do anything to save the bank. I couldn't think of a better investor than you. <laughs> How many millions, maybe billions, have I sent offshore to help my customers avoid the taxes? It'd be nice to bring some money into the country for a change. Watching David's mind work. The furrows of his brow deepened as he no doubt thought about the very real possibility that he would be the Cohen under whom a long-standing family business would have to close its doors. The son who couldn't sustain his father's legacy. I saw him wince 
and my gut told me it was at that exact moment that he was thinking about Abe. The utter arrogance of the root cause of their incredibly dire problems being the very one to reject the solution I offered. Suddenly, David wrapped his knuckles on top of the conference table, and his eyes focused hard on mine. How are we going to pull this off? Okay. Every bank has hundreds, possibly thousands, of dormant accounts. Accounts that haven't been accessed in years because their, their owners are sick or dead or have simply forgotten about the account for one reason or another. We've easily got 600. Perfect. I'll need a list of all of those dormant accounts, Jax. Ones with no activity for more than three years, but less than five. You think you can do that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Wonderful. Five years, we're going to have to start contacting the account's owners. And if you can't find them, you turn the funds over to the state. We need to hit that sweet spot. Accounts that have been thoroughly abandoned, but aren't old enough yet to be turned over. And we need these accounts. Why? Because no one ever pays attention to them. Not the bank's accountants, not the account owners, not for the most part the feds. We'll use them to receive wire transfers of funds from Mexico. Odd amounts, not consistent, a few thousand or more per account. The money sits dormant in the account for a few minutes. Then it gets transferred out to my account and the new account we create for my business partner. Transferred from where? From my bank in Merida, where I'll deposit it as cash into my personal account. And this drug dealer trusts you just to take his cash from him and deposit into your personal account? What stops you from just walking away with it? Twenty million, not peanuts. How does he know you won't do that? How does he know some banker on this end won't do that? He doesn't. All he knows is I'm smart enough to know that if he doesn't get access to his cash, I'm gone. Ugh. So, you see, I couldn't pull this off without you and Jack. Without people I can trust entirely. I've got an awful lot of skin in the game. Now, the best part is, Alvaro knows he can't do this without me. No one could, not without the proper connections. David and I left Jack hard at work in his office, bent over the tasks I'd set ahead of him, creating a list of accounts that had been dormant for over three years, but shy of five, and then honing the list, dividing it into accounts of customers who were over 80 years old or dead, in nursing homes and or suffering from dementia. Those being the sorts of customers who weren't going to be surprising us by looking for a strict accounting of their funds anytime soon. Jack was to bring the compiled lists of names to his parents' house. David and I were going there to have lunch with Candace. And I was looking forward to seeing the lists. Not least of all, because I was a homestead native. And I was curious to see if I recognized any of the names. There's also the little matter of timing. The feds have been keeping tabs on the bank since Abe had brought the family business to their attention by making a bucket full of bad loans. It will include the dormant accounts as part of their audits if there is suddenly a lot of activity on them. The good news is that the feds are predictable about when they will show up for the next rounds of audits. The bad news is that they are due back in four to six weeks, the last week of June at the latest. We either move immediately or we wait into the quarter for the federal auditors to clear out again. And a lot could happen in three months. David slowed as we neared the house. He drove cautiously, like the banker he was. Well, I suppose making Alvaro wait for his money is not likely as lethal as stealing it outright. But I don't want to find out for sure, you know. Game over for me. You know, I've had conversations before with two of the agents assigned to our bank. 
They have so much as said that if we can infuse more capital into the bank, they really don't give a shit where it comes from. Preaching to the choir. Mine isn't the only bank that's in trouble with these loan issues. The political ramifications of bank failures is unthinkable. If we can stabilize our situation, everyone will be happy. That's good to know, David. Just, <clears throat> let's not be as forthcoming with Candy. She's an owner, of course, and I do want her to know we found a way to get the bank back on solid footing. And she'll be thrilled that it's you who's going to be our new partner. But I don't want her to know anything that's going to keep her up at night. Enough said, David. He turned into the driveway to his house, a curving 50 yards lined with tall palms and flanked by lush, manicured grass. Thanks, Clint. Don't mention it. I won't mention it, if you won't. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Stained Fortune. This was produced by myself, Joe Calderwood, and Jeff Mester. Casting by Charlie Wilson. Performances by Haven Kai, Lucas York, Brooks Wallace, Charlie Wilson, and Alan Chandler.